Good morning. Good morning. I'd like to start to echo what Judith said. Thank you so much for all your love and support over the uh, recent couple of weeks. Um, a lot of people are saying to me, anything we can do, let us know. And I really do appreciate that. It's just that when they say it, I can't think of a single thing. <laughs> but I know you're there. Uh, so thank you and bless you for that. I want to talk to you this morning about something that's quite um, basic, really. I, I don't know much about rugby, apart from the fact we lost yesterday. I don't know some of the rules. With football, I've got it. You know, I know what offside is in football, but when they say it's offside in rugby, I think, why? And, and, the, and the other thing, you know, they say it's a penalty. And I think, why would he do? And it just something with the ball or something. Something did something. And I just... And one of the things that was said was this, that really important, I guess in rugby, like with other things, and, and in life actually, is if you don't look after the basic things, it doesn't work out. You can be as flash and as fit and as whatever else as you want. But if you don't cover the basic things... You can get penalised, you can have offside again. And so what I want to talk about is something pretty basic. And a couple of weeks ago when I spoke to you before, I read a verse from Isaiah 33 about the Lord being the foundation for your times. Okay? It's in Isaiah 33, uh, and it's, uh, I'll read verses 5 and 6 because I want to move on a little bit from what I said then. But it says, The Lord is exalted, for he dwells on high. And, <coughs> excuse me, and I think it's great to know that God dwells on high. He's above it all. He will fill Zion with his justice and righteousness. He will be the sure foundation for your times. And I have experienced that over these last few weeks. Times, difficult times. He has been a foundation for me. And I've testified right through my life that because Jesus is my foundation, I've stood. He's been a foundation for, it doesn't make me better than anybody else, it just, by the grace of God, I've built on the right foundation. And when the wind comes and the waves come and the winds come, I stand because I've, by the grace of God, I've stood on the right foundation, Jesus. He is a sure foundation for our times. The trouble is, people found their lives on different things that don't hold up. They don't work. And then it says this. He will be the sure foundation for your times. A rich store of salvation and wisdom and knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the key to this treasure. Wow. That got me now. I just pray that, Lord, you'll help me to do justice to this word this morning. The exalted Lord, who is above all, is a foundation for our times. The thing about a foundation is, it's there to be built upon. It's not an end in itself. It speaks there about a rich store of salvation. Now, salvation, I don't know about you, but that's a kind of a word that people think, oh, it's a bit religious, salvation. The other thing is, um, be saved. There's a church that I see, uh, and it always has this 
um, it's, a, it's a small gospel hall. It's the one in Four Marks in Hampshire. And they've got this great big board. And it has, it has luminescent banners. It says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. That's true. But I wonder what people think that really means. We'll be saved. And, and sometimes we think, oh, I can't use the word saved because people don't know. But I tell you what, if you're drowning, you'll have no, no hesitation in wanting to be saved. And being saved, it's the same thought, it's the same word really as salvation. Salvation is being saved. So when you're drowning, the RNLI will be your salvation. And so salvation means to be rescued, uh, to be made safe, to be safe from fear and danger of fear and circumstance. And I want to say this, that God is a rich store of our salvation because he is our salvation. And so salvation is pretty basic. But we need to know what salvation is and we need to grow in it. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. Salvation is something to know. And I don't just mean know about. I mean know and experience for ourselves. You see, if you're not know, if you don't know God's salvation and the foundation that he gives us in our lives, we've got a whole raft of our life that won't work. I believe that salvation, that knowing Jesus, is the most important issue in our lives. It's more important than your job. It's more important than your education. It's even more important than your health. Isn't it? It's the most important issue. One writer, A.W. Tozer, said this, what we think about Jesus is the most important thing about us. Because if we get Jesus wrong, then we get our salvation wrong. Because there's no salvation in anyone else other than Jesus. You see, salvation means to be saved from circumstances. But in the Bible, when it talks about salvation, it's got a spiritual element to it. It means a spiritual and eternal deliverance given immediately by God to those who come to him in repentance and faith in Jesus. What it means is this. You can never, ever, ever be good enough to be able to stand before God and say, I've arrived. You can't. We come before God by faith and repentance. What does repentance mean? That's another old-fashioned word, isn't it? Repent. I always think of dirty Macs and banners. Do you know, I got stuck in a... Oh, my mate used to play the trumpet. And I've probably told you this before because it's, it, it's scarred me. My mate used to play the trumpet when I was a kid. And he said, there's some people up in London and they want, they're, they're doing this march in London. And they want me to go and play the trumpet. Will you come? Well, he was my mate, so like an idiot, I went. And I found myself with these weirdos. They were weird. I believed what they said. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. But they had one had a bowler hat on. It, who wears a bowler hat? And they were walking through the street shouting at people. And my mate was playing. And I'm walking along like, hoping that nobody in the world knows who on earth I am. And there's this American taking photos. Oh, oh no. 
And he says, all right, guys, I'm with you. I just want to see how you do it in England. I thought, no, we don't do it like that in England. We're just doing it like that this morning. Oh, but salvation and being saved and repentance. They're all these old-fashioned words. He talk about repentance simply means this, if I can say. In our lives, we're going in a direction. To repent means to get all religious. No, it doesn't. It means actually to know a new revelation, to change your mind and go in a different direction. Because he is the way, the truth and the life. And when he opens our eyes, our spiritual eyes, he saves us and gives us salvation from the rubbish that we're living and the direction that we're going. And he takes us in a new direction. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. That's when we change direction. You know, salvation is putting us in a different place. He lifts us out of darkness into light. He lifts us from death to life. He makes us new creations. He opens our eyes. We are forgiven. No more under condemnation. And we're no better than anybody else. We're just better than we were. And he gives us a new foundation that will not allow us to fall if we build upon it. His name is Jesus. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. That's Jesus. Acts 4.12. Ephesians 1. And, as, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Gospel means good news, by the way. At six o'clock on BBC, there's no gospel. That's just the news. But the gospel is the good news. Right? The truth of the message of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit. When you believe in Jesus, he changes you. Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed, Paul said, of the gospel, the good news, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, the Jew and to the Gentile. And the thing is this, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, he saves you. And I can't explain it if you've never felt it, and I'm looking around this room, I think everybody knows it, but the moment you gave your life to Jesus, do you remember... That it all made sense. And from that moment, you knew that you knew that you knew that you knew that you knew, knew, knew. You just knew. And there was nothing anybody could ever do to dissuade you from knowing that Jesus was real, that he loved you, and you were saved, and you had received salvation. There's no argument that can drag you. If you have a mental ascent to salvation, then somebody can argue you out of it. But when you know that you know that you know you can never get away from it. Isn't that great? Because it's real. And, and suddenly you just know inside. And it's the greatest issue in our lives. The hope we have. It's the essential element of God being all he wants to be in our lives. And it's all in the context of us living in a broken, lost world with broken, lost lives in it. And that includes you and me. He can only be the sure foundation when we intentionally build upon Jesus, the rock of our salvation. You know, it, 
does cost sometimes to follow Jesus. But let's face it, in our country, it doesn't cost that much compared with the people who've died, been persecuted. But it could do no other because they knew who they believed. You see, Jesus came to give salvation, to save and give purpose and direction. He didn't come to condemn us. <coughs> I get upset when I hear believers, Christians, churches, looking down their nose at people and condemning them. And what they might be condemning them for, what they might be saying about what they are and what they do, might be right, actually. But actually, if you point one finger at them, there's three pointing back at you. Who are we to condemn anybody when we still get it wrong ourselves? Or am I the only one that still gets it wrong right now? You are with me on that, aren't you? Yeah, we're in the same class. Good. Because I get it wrong. And it's but by the grace of God, there go I. The trouble is we live in a world that, that gives conflict to what Jesus wants to put in our lives. When, when we repent and change our mind and our direction, fine, we find ourselves going against the grain. We don't want to, but we must do. Because, <coughs> excuse me, oh, thank you very much, look at that. Oh, you changed its water, that's good. You don't know what she puts in there sometimes. No, it's not true. I'm joking. Wouldn't that be awful if she put milk in there? Oh, that would have just... But he brings change to our outlook and our priorities. The things that are priorities in our lives change when we start to follow Jesus. If they don't, then you actually need to look at how closely am I following Jesus? Yeah. Because you can't, you can't help it. Because all of a sudden, caring for people and having a concern for people is more important than making money out of them. For example, I just, I don't know, whatever. You see? He brings change. And Jesus, all he ever did was good things. He spoke the truth. He healed the sick, he showed compassion, he showed love, and he cut right across the society of his day, only doing and saying good things. And so they responded and rewarded him by killing him. He took up his cross. And if we follow Jesus, there's a cross, a calling we have to carry that means we die to ourselves and live for him. But we're not in the world to condemn the world. Do you know what? <clears throat> I, I, I read this quote. It's written in my little folder there because I think it's so, so good. How we treat people that don't believe the same as us is really important. And as a, a quote from a, a pastor in America, Rick Warren, he says this, <clears throat> and it says this, our culture has accepted two huge lies. The first is this, that if you disagree with someone's lifestyle, you must fear or hate them. The second is that to love someone means you agree with everything they believe or do. Both are nonsense. 
You don't have to compromise convictions to be compassionate. You don't have to do away with what you've got a conviction about in your heart before God to be able to honour, love and bless people. If we take that self-righteous stand and say, well, you're condemned because I'm not anything to do with you because you're not a Christian. Well, they're never likely to be a Christian, are they? Do you know what? There are, look at you lot. All of you lot and me, we've all got issues that we could condemn each other for. There are people, do you know what? The, 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 there's loads of people out there who want to become Christians. They just don't know it yet. And when they come in, they'll have all sorts of issues in their lives. Lifestyles that are, oh, that's wrong, isn't it? Oh, I can't hide. Do you know what? Love them. Accept them. Lead them to Jesus and let him sort them out. Because he's full of love and compassion. He will bring salvation. And then he'll turn them around. That's his job. That's his job. Because he loves us. You see, um, in, in John chapter 1, it talks about the word who became flesh, Jesus, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. You got that, grace and truth? If you, which is the most important pedal on a bike, the left one or the right one? Which is the most important shoe? Equal, you see? Absolutely. So you've got to have grace, but you've got to have truth. If you've only got grace, then anything goes. If you've only got truth, you get judgmental and uh, rules and regulations, right and wrong. But if you've got grace and truth, then you've got the heart of Jesus that, that, that has compassion, but has convictions. Grace and truth. We need them both. That's how we apply what we have received from him to each other. The law was given through Moses. Rules and regulations. We're not into rules and regulations. I took a, we took a group of young people away years ago, years ago, when we were at Croydon in about 1826. And, and the thing is this, we went down to this, this, this farm in Kent. And I remember it was in spring. And we had to change, put the clocks forward on the Sunday. So we went on the Friday, we put the clocks forward on the Friday, we were living an hour ahead of the, everyone else. Because it's staff doing it halfway through. But when we got there, we said to them, guess what? There are no rules. There are no rules this weekend. All we want you to do is behave in a way that blesses and honours God and each other. That's it. There's no rules. Just live like a Christian. Great weekend. You see, Moses gave the law. We know what's right and wrong. But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness. Oh, mate. The trouble is, we sometimes say... It's <laughs> right, we didn't notice you coming in, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> grace. 
Christ. Yeah, I'm talking about Christ. Oh, oh dear me. Oh, I'm all, I'm all mixed up now. Here we are. That's fine. Um, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness. Um, there's something inside us that wants to do wrong. Can I just tell you that sin is fun? Isn't it? It's attractive. Because if it wasn't, you wouldn't want to do it. But it also kills you. So it's no good. But the grace of God enables us to say no to ungodliness. It's the grace and truth that he gives us. You know, it says here that the fear of the Lord is the key to this treasure of salvation. It's a rich store of salvation. And it is a treasure. Um, It includes with it wisdom and knowledge given by God. And I looked up the word treasure, and the word treasure is a deposit of wealth. A deposit of wealth, a treasure. And in Matthew 13, it says that the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. They must have thought he was mad. The field isn't worth that. But he knew something that they didn't know, that Buried in it was the treasure. And if he bought the field, he could have the treasure. But if he had the treasure, he had the field as well. And do you know something? The kingdom of God is like a treasure that when God reveals himself to us, when we realize how wonderful this salvation is, it's worth giving everything away so that we can have it. The thing is, we don't have to give everything away in that sense but we have to give everything to Jesus. And he will give us that treasure. The fear of the Lord is the key to that treasure. Can I just say, fear of the Lord is often misunderstood. That, you know, if you step out of line, the thunderbolt will come and and your little pile of ashes because you've been hit by a thunderbolt, so you better fear him. No, fear means love and respect for. The fear of the Lord, loving him, respecting him, not wanting to, honouring him, not wanting to displease him because of relationship. But it's the key to that treasure. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One. And knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Can I say that salvation is the bottom line message of our church? It's got to be. Every community group that we do, we don't preach at them, but the one thing we want is to see salvation in those people. And there are people here today who've received salvation through coming through our community groups. I love that. Praise the Lord. That's so fantastic. And that's what we do. It's essential. And it's an experience in people's lives. But it's also just the start. You see, something to know, but also, briefly, something in which to grow. You see, it's no good having a foundation without building on it. That's what it's for. It's to be built upon. And we need to dedicate and invest our lives into building salvation in our lives. It's an ongoing application. And it's whereby we grow in knowledge and grace. 2 Peter 3 says, Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. 
Ephesians 4. Christ gave apostles, prophets, evangelists and pastors and teachers to equip God's people for works of service. And a few verses later it says, instead of, it says, speak the truth in love and we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who, has, who is the head, that is Jesus. Now th- there's an element there of growing together but growing individually. And both are really important. We can't be satisfied with just knowing Jesus as our Lord and Saviour and being brought from darkness into light, being put on a new foundation, unless we walk in that light and unless we build upon that foundation. You see, we are here to grow. I, I, I heard the small, Lottie was saying, Lottie, Lottie in there. She said, in six weeks, I'll be seven years old. In June, I'll be mind your own business. 65, all right, all right. Oh, shocking. I know. No, stop it. My daughter said, flipping heck, looking at me. And have you said, adults always say to kids, don't they? And I reckon the kids roll their eyes. And they say, oh, haven't you grown? As if it's kind of amazing. You know, you haven't seen a kid for a couple of years. Oh, 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 oh. Haven't you grown? Yes. Of course I've grown because I've been being fed, I've been educated, I've been clothed, I've been all the rest of it. Do you know, healthy life will bring growth. And so we see kids that have grown and we say, oh, haven't you grown? Do you know, oh, that needs to be mirrored in our spiritual lives. We need to grow from what we were to what God wants us to be. And if we don't grow, it means there's something not healthy in our spiritual lives that's stunting our growth, our spiritual growth. You see, do you know, when we grow, we need to change what we do. I I used to watch... Bill and Ben, the flowerpot men. Goodbye, Bill. Goodbye, Ben. Bill and Ben, Bill and Ben, flowerpot men. <laughs> Wes is just looking at me puzzled. He doesn't know what I'm talking about. Do you know what? I, I would quite like to see an edition of Bill and Ben again. You can get it on YouTube. But it doesn't do it for me anymore. And the little weed. <laughs> You know what, Pam? That doesn't really help some people here. <laughs> they still don't know what I'm talking about. But the thing is this. The stuff I used to watch on telly when I was five, it doesn't do it for me anymore. Like it used to. And you know, sometimes people become Christians and they're absolutely full of it. Oh, Jesus is wonderful. And, oh, it's great. And that's great. I love to see new Christians getting all enthusiastic. Don't ever discourage that, folks. Just enjoy it, all right? Because it's great. But do you know what? What blesses you and satisfies you when you first become a Christian, as you grow, won't necessarily do it for you then, as you grow older, in your faith. Do you know, there was a, oh, there was a, a life group in a church far away that I was involved with. 
And this new Christian wanted to go to a life group, or whatever they called it there, a home group, right? And so we put them in this home group. And I had someone come to me, delegated by the home group, to say, you put so-and-so in our home group. I said, yes. He said, well, <laughs> we are a, a mature group, you know, and that is a young Christian. I said, that's precisely why I put them in your group. What that person was actually saying was, look, we've got a cosy little thing going on down here, and somebody else who doesn't know one end of the Bible from the other is going to make it really, really uncomfortable for us, and it messes our little nest up. And do you know what? Oh, that gets me going at I can't tell you how angry I get about that. You see, that wasn't a mature group. It was a group of people who had been Christians for a long time. And there's a lot of difference between being mature and being a Christian for a long time. You can be a Christian for years and still be a baby. Grow up. That's what we've got to do. Why grow up sounds condemnatory. No, it's, it's haven't you grown? You don't shout at your kid, grow up. Well, you might do sometimes, but they grow up anyway. You see, oh dear, I get so excited, I don't know where I am half the time. (laughs) See, we develop our salvation by learning and experiencing to trust God more and more, right? Our salvation, as we grow, mustn't be neglected. If you've got a garden and you just leave it to do its own thing, it will do its own thing. It needs to be dealt with. And you know, I believe our walk with God needs deliberate, intentional attention for it to grow. Hebrews 2, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? You see, sometimes we, what we try and do is fit our Christianity into our lives. Right, Monday or Friday I go to work, on Saturday I do this, and da-da-da. Oh, Sunday I'll fit my Christianity into that. It's not what it's about. We don't fit our Christianity into our lives. We fit our lives into our walk with God. Do you see that? Who we are is new creations. We are saved. We are disciples of Jesus. Wherever we are, at work, at play, at home, at the shops, at church, whatever else, and we fit all that stuff into who we are. Jesus didn't fit being the son of God into his life on earth. He was the son of God. He was the saviour of the world. And everything he did, he fitted into that fact, you see. So we mustn't neglect it. We've got to be like the early church who devoted themselves to teaching, to fellowship, all those things. And... Let's not neglect our walk with God and our walk to God, with God together. Just a, just a throw in here. You can never reach your potential of growth without being plugged in to a church fellowship. It won't work. Jesus says you've got to love one another. How can you go off on an island and just be with God and effectively love everyone else? Uh, someone put this... Um, YouTube, not YouTube, what's it, Instagram, something or other? I don't know, something on a phone. And it was a picture of this beautiful forest. And they put underneath it, this is my church. I thought, no, it isn't your church. 
What a load of sentimental junk. That is a beautiful place where you can go and you can walk with God and talk with him and enjoy. But your church is the people that get on your nerves sometimes, that bless you at other times, that are there for you, that, that, that you're called to love and serve. That's your church. It's people, not trees. And that person was barking up the wrong one. Anyway, hear what I did there, dear. So, we have something that must not be neglected, but also needs to be exercised. It's personal and something worked out between you and God. Christianity, your faith in Jesus is personal. It's not private. You need to live it out and be proud of it, but it's personal. He has got a vision for your life that he hasn't got for someone else. So you work out your own salvation. And we've all got a responsibility, a, a personal responsibility to develop and grow in our walk with God. See, it's no good me giving, uh, yeah, asking Jim to go down the gym for me. Jim to go to the gym, all right? No, it's no I won't use you, actually. <laughs> or anybody. Oh, oh, he's a fit young man. Steve, I want you to go to the gym for me and work out because I want to get fit. Thanks, mate. No, if I'm going to get fit in the gym, I've got to go to the gym and work out my own body. I can't do it through Steve. And you know, in our Christian lives, we can't rely on the experience of other Christians to grow. We've got to work out ourselves, our work out our own salvation. And the Bible says, as we work it out, he works in us to do will of his own good purposes. But you, working your salvation out, will result in something different to the person next to you working their salvation out. We're all on the same team. We're all doing different things. But it's a personal thing that we are called to develop. We mustn't compare ourselves with other people. Sometimes people think that the people at the front here, because you're speaking or leading or singing, or do, are more important than the people in the, in the kitchen. That's rubbish. Every single one of us is ministering before God. And you mustn't say, I want to be like them. Lord, you know what you need to say? I want to be like you. Will you help me to work out what you've called me to be and do with you? Work within me to do it to the best of my ability. Then I'll fit it with all the other people to do all the other things. Work out your own, and he will work in you. He works, it's, for it's God who works in you to will and act according to fulfill his good purpose. God has a purpose for us all, and it's vital that we seek to grow into it and develop in ministry, character, anointing, commitment, and closeness with our walk in God. If not, we'll get frustrated and discouraged. The Bible says that God has prepared works for each one of us to do. And I want you to say, Lord, how do you want me to grow in my salvation. Is there something I need to do better? Is there something I need to do for you? I don't know what it means. Perhaps there's a ministry that God is calling you to. Perhaps you see a need. Perhaps, what I don't know what it is, but work out your own salvation and he'll work within you. Maybe you need to talk to people and encourage them a bit more. Maybe you need to spend more time in God's presence, praying, reading the Bible. I don't know. I can't be prescriptive for you, for you, for you, for you. 
Because it's not my salvation. It's yours. I'm not in charge. God is. And he will work in you to willing to do his own good purpose, right? In Timothy, as for you, continue in what you've learned and have become convinced of because you know that those from whom you've learned it and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for the salvation through faith in Jesus. Salvation is something we need to know. It's something we need to grow in. But very sharply in my um, experience right now is this, that there's another step to salvation. And it's the reason that we don't grieve like those who have no hope. In my heart, I miss my dad. Um, I went to his house this morning. had to get something from there. And we've got to get the heating on as well because it's empty and all the rest of it. And you walk in and the heating's on. You think, he should be here. He's not. Um, when he was here, it was quite difficult sometimes because <laughs> he was hard work. Got all these conflicts of emotions, something in your head, something in your heart. But I know who I believed. I'm convinced he's able to complete that which he started in our lives. And I know this, that dad gave his life to Jesus. He received salvation. And he's now in the presence of the living God. He was saved in his life as he grew with God. He was being saved. And now he is with Jesus in eternity. And that is worth everything. Let's know him. Let's grow in our knowledge and grace of him. Because Jesus said, you follow me. Let's bow our heads for a moment, shall we? Father God, thank you so much for the great salvation that you've given to us. I pray that you'll help us never to kind of discard that word as being something religious or something. I think we all know better than that. But we're not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation to, of those who believe. And Lord, this morning, I thank you for each one of us. As I look around, I'm pretty convinced that every single one of us here have received that and our lives have been put on a new foundation. But I just want to challenge you as I challenge me. Lord, what have you got next? You have saved me and you've helped me to build. What more do you want? What more can I do? What is it you want of me and how can I serve you more? What is it I need to do to grow? Do you know, sometimes we grow in our Christian lives and then we plateau, yeah? We get to that place where it's kind of flat and we can look at, oh, that's where I used to be and it's quite nice here. We'll look the other direction and you'll find another path climbing up the hill to the next stage in your life. He's never finished with you. <laughs> it's always, always something that he wants to do as you grow in him. All right? Father, I just want to ask that by your grace, that first of all, you'll put a desire in our hearts to know you better than we've ever known you before. 
and to commit our way to you so that you lead us on the next stage in our lives. Because one thing I do know about you all, there's another stage. There's something else, there's more. Help us to grow in grace and in truth and in following you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.